And I wore it because of today's topic. Um, we're going to look at tradition versus relationship. Now, a few years back, Pastor Steve and several people that I can see here and us all went to Israel. And on that trip, we went to Bethlehem to the Church of Nativity, which, uh, anyway, this church had been destroyed and rebuilt I don't know how many times, and way down in the bowels of this church was a, a little room with a silver star on the floor, which is supposedly the exact spot where Mary gave birth to the Savior of the world. Well, our timing was just off because when we got there, this church is kind of split owned by the Roman Catholics and the Greek Orthodox. And every hour, they have a little ceremony that they do. I don't know why, but... Uh, we were asked to get over on the side behind these pillars while this ceremony thing took place. So the, the head guy, the priest or whatever he was, and some attendants and some helpers, all maybe six or eight of them lined up in the back and they got in formation and they started to come forward and they were ringing these gongs and waving this big smoking thing of incense and they were all in this rhythmic step. Well, they had a false start. They didn't get a flag, but they had one, so they had to go back and realign. Had to be just right. So they realigned and they started over. And it was an impressive sight. It really was. The... Uh, Sound, the smoke, the costumes. Uh, the closer, though, that they got, I noticed something. There was no joy on the face of any one of them. Not a bit, not even a hint of a smile. Now, I don't know how many centuries they'd been doing this thing, might have been a long time. But somewhere over time, this all-important ritual had lost its meaning. There were no parishioners in the church. The church was empty, except for the, the procession and us over by the, by the side. Now, I'm not sure the participants even knew what they were, why they were doing what they were doing. But if you didn't speak Greek or Latin, you had no idea what was going on here. But it was a very well-rehearsed, very religious ceremony. And the, pre the head priest had this really long robe train behind him. And as they got closer, I was standing right next to Steve Morehouse, and he said, that's what I want. I want you to walk behind me carrying a train to my robe. I thought about it for a second. I said, well, all right, if that's what you want, but I am not going to wear one of them silly hats. <laughs> but
But then he said something really profound. He said, we can all thank Martin Luther, or we'd be doing that same thing today. Amen. That ceremony, I don't even know if it meant anything to the people that were doing it. But I can assure you that it meant absolutely nothing to me. And we had to let them finish because the door to go down to this little tiny room was up by the altar. Now the reason I tell you this story is not for entertainment, but because there's a powerful spiritual truth, an example to me and I hope to you as well. During this scene, I never sensed the Holy Spirit. I know what it's like to have him in the room. I never had any connection that I can think of to the Lord at all, other than there was some crosses and a lot of stuff around. It was a tradition, a very well-kept, very dug-in tradition. But since I'm not 300 years old, I have no idea what that tradition means. I don't think any of them were 300 years old. So if you'd turn with me to Matthew 23, if you brought your Bibles. Jesus, in this passage, he's been in the temple for a couple chapters now. And he's been talking mostly to the scribes and the Pharisees. Who are, were, the keepers of the religious tradition of Jesus' day. Now, in the first part of this chapter, Jesus announces seven woes on the Pharisees and the scribes. Woe for making it hard for people to understand or adhere to God's kingdom. Woe for marketing God for selfish gain. Woe for teaching rules that can never make a person right with God. Woe. For holding the temple above he who dwells in that temple. Woe for observing tiny little rules and neglecting justice, mercy, and faith. Woe for making this all about appearance and not about the heart. Woe for your denial thinking yourself holy, saying you would treat the prophets differently than your fathers while you do the same things they did. Jesus pronounces a terrible ending for these selfish, self-righteous, self-serving religious leaders. And it came to pass. Have you met any Pharisees lately? Or scribes? They're gone. So, beginning at verse 37, Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
Jesus in this passage, after all these woes, is telling the heart of God about religious traditions that they hold so dear. O Jerusalem, I have sent my prophets and you killed them. I've been reaching out to you to love and nurture you into a people close, having a genuine relationship with me, like a hen gathering her chicks under her wings, but you would not. Understand that this temple, this city, was set aside as a dwelling place for the Almighty God, Jehovah. All of all the world, Jerusalem and the temple would be the capital of God, like Washington, D.C. is our capital. He put his name on it. He even said he did. But what happened through the centuries? The heart of God stayed the same. Oh, Jerusalem, how I wanted to gather you. How I wanted to be in relationship with you. Instead, it was the heart of man that changed. People became ritualistic instead of being real. That is so important, I'm going to say it again. If you don't go home with anything other than this phrase, people became ritualistic instead of being real. Every Jew visited this temple every year to meet his, to complete his religious obligations, including Jesus and his disciples. The temple was the central figure of their faith. But God had been replaced by ritual when relationship is personal. The temple was a big business. Your lamb wasn't good enough, so you had to buy a temple lamb, which was probably a recycled lamb that had been traded in. Your money wasn't good enough. You had to buy temple money to offer at the temple, which was sold at an unfair exchange rate. The observance of religious tradition had lost its meaning and become a duty rather than a privilege. Jesus said in verse 38, See, your house is left to you desolate. Meaning, dead. The life-giving force of the presence of Almighty God was no longer there. It was empty. That's what Jesus called them. Barren is another word. Verse 39, he says, I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In today's English, that you shall see me no more, let me paraphrase that for you. I'm out of here. There is nothing for me here. Can you imagine God saying that to any church today? Saying, you have lost your focus I'm no longer the object of your faith, so I'm out of here. Which reminds me of a story, which always makes Donna cringe. 
This old cowboy rode his horse down to church, got off, walked in, sat through the service. After the service, the reverend was standing at the door shaking hands as people left. He said, Mighty nice sermon, reverend. To which the reverend said, looking at the cowboy with all the dust and the trail on him and, you know, cowboy stuff, he said, well, thank you, but before you come back, would you ask the Lord what your, the proper attire is here in the church? So the next Sunday, the cowboy rode his horse down to church. At the end of church, he was walking out. He shook the reverend's hand. He said, nice sermon, reverend. And the reverend said, thank you, but... I believe the last time you were here, I asked you to ask the Lord what the proper attire is in this church. He said, did you ask him? He says, I sure did. And what did he say? He said he hadn't been in this church for a long time. He had no idea what I was supposed to wear. (laughs) Can a church become out of date, not fulfilling its mission by not spreading the good news of Jesus Christ in a relevant way. I have a close friend who grew up in a vibrant church in Denver. 2,500 people week to week. 50 kids in confirmation class at a time. This church was bustling. They had a choir. They had young families. They, They were a healthy church. Being what a church is supposed to be, engaged with the community, spreading the gospel, and relevant to its generation. He told me just a week ago that when he goes back to Denver to visit his mom and goes to church with her, there are 50 people or less in that church. They are all 75 years old or older, but it's just the way they like it. What happened? How could a strong, vibrant church have slipped into such an irrelevant state? How could a church become, in Jesus' word, desolate? This is not a new phenomenon. In our text, Jesus is relating the same situation. And then in chapter 24, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and he never went back. Ever. It was the disciples who were sidestepping on the way out, saying, well, wait a minute, Jesus. Wait a minute, Jesus. Look, look at how impressive these buildings are. Look at all, the, look at all this stuff. Look at our, our traditions. I can imagine them thinking, man, this is the temple. He just got done with all these woes. This is, you can't say things like that in a temple. This is the way it's always been done. You, you can't bash our traditions. And then... They were maybe thinking, you know, when you talk like that in front of the church leaders, you're going to jeopardize our welcome here. They're not going to want us to come back in here. Think this through, Jesus. 
Just look at these beautiful buildings. All our tradition. Verse 2, Jesus said, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon, here upon another that shall not be thrown down. The disciples saw the buildings. Jesus saw things. He said, I think he meant more than the buildings. I think he meant all of it. The leaders, the vendors, the rules, the pomp, the rigid repetition without a thought of God, but instead thinking only on our performance, because what it had become had little resemblance to its original intent. We've seen these stones, those of us that went to Israel. They're bigger than a church bus. They're huge. And there's no two on top of another. Not one. Because in 70 A.D., Titus the Roman came through and did exactly what Jesus said was going to happen. Leveled the temple. It came to pass just as Jesus said it would. He was done with empty religious traditions that had replaced a relationship with the living God. I love this church. I love every one of you. If I had time to call you by name, I would. I love you. But I'm 66 years old. I have to ask myself, where am I going to be in 20 years? Other than 86. Am I keeping the good news of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ fresh and relevant to the next generations? I'm not talking about doctrinal changes. Those are commands. They're not to be altered because they're no longer popular. That's what political correctness is. The gospel of Jesus Christ was never meant to be politically correct. Uh, correct. As a matter of fact, since the word gospel has begun, it has never been politically correct. It's always the opposite of what man wants. When Jesus rose from the dead, culminating his finished work forever, he didn't go to the temple. He didn't go check it out with the religious leaders. He went to the people. He went where there's relationship. And he's still going there today. Still to each one of us, day in and day out, wanting that relationship. That's what the church is. It's people. That's where he's been going ever since, to people, saying, come. Come unto me. I want to be in relationship with you. Believe me. Be saved. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, not some people, no one comes to the Father except through me.
Matthew 28, the last words that Matthew records of Jesus on the earth, or 26 is a long chapter, says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Go, make disciples, teach. Our mission is to go and teach of the great relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ in a way that can be understood by the hearers. St. Francis of Assisi said, Share the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. John Wimber, one of the founding pastors of the Vineyard Movement, said, People will come to church for any number of reasons, but they will stay for only one relationship. My mission as a Christian is not to make people more like me. It's to help people become more like Jesus. This is his kingdom. I remember the battle that my generation had getting a guitar in church. And then drums. If you're the generation behind me, you had your own struggles. If you're one of the three or maybe even four generations after me, you've got struggles of your own. As a matter of fact, you live in a world of tech that I could never imagine. I still have a flip phone. It's a different world. It's not going to be won by people in costumes with incense and gongs and all in the, the right step, it's going to be one through relationship. One thing that has never changed is Jesus' word when he said, I came to seek and to save the lost. That's our job. That's the church's job. And if it means we've got to set up an ice cream stand right here, we're going to do it. We're going to reach the lost. You know, there was a day when church leaders thought that to put Billy Graham on national TV was downright terrible, even sinful. You know the rest of that story. Millions and millions of people have been saved through that evangelistic organization. I'm so glad they put him on TV. This is Jesus Christ's kingdom. My, our part, is to play the role that he's assigned us in Matthew 28. We're to share the good news in all our lives and we're to make disciples. The the gospel has never been more relevant to a lost world than it is right now in 2018. Our challenge is to relate it in an understanding way to those who hear.
Hope I didn't make you step on your toes too bad. I love you. I do. Let's pray. Father, we love you. It is your kingdom. You have a job for us to do. Quicken us, Lord. Shake us. Wake us up to be the people you want us to be, to play the role that you've assigned each one of us, all different, but all important, to bring your kingdom to Gunnison and to places beyond. In the name of Jesus, amen.